Well, good morning, Oakwood. Today is the last installment of a series we've been doing for the last several weeks called Armor Up, putting on the full armor of God. And uh, man, it's been a great series. I got some feedback right after uh, first service this morning from one of our members that just said, man, this is exactly what I needed. Uh, God has a way with that sometimes about there's some spiritual warfare going on in her life. And she said, this is just like the whole series, but exactly what I needed. Uh, just believing God has a way and, and that God's leading us to what we teach and what we preach here at Oakwood and that he is opening up our minds and our hearts to his word and, and praying constantly with fervor that it would change us and, and make us powerful tools in the Lord's hand and, and, and to fight these battles. And we're going to continue in that today. As we've been through this series, we started out, you might remember, with the belt of truth. That everything that we do as Christians is built on the truth of the Word of God. That this belt of truth is foundational piece of our body armor. And then we talked about the, the breastplate of righteousness. That that protects our heart, that protects the core of our being. That we would be righteous people because of who Christ is and because what He's done for us. Then it says that our feet, our footwear, they'd be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And we talked about that last week uh, along with the shield of faith. We take up the shield of faith and we'd be able to extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. And today we're going to add a couple more pieces and actually the last two pieces to this body armor. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to begin with verse 10. We're going to go all the way through 17 today. I want to read this passage in its entirety as we see how it all fits together. And also, as always, if you didn't bring a Bible today, there's one provided in the seat there around you that you can grab, or you can get on your phone or a tablet. You can download the Oakwood app, and the sermon notes are right there for you. You can just uh, download the app and follow along that way. But we want you to engage the Word of God this morning as we continue to learn about how we are called by God to armor up, to armor up. Let's read the passage, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. It says this, Remember, Paul's ending his letter here to the Christians in Ephesus, and he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, because of all of this, because of all these facts, therefore, Put on, it's something we do, we have to put it on, put on the full armor of God so that when, not if, but when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all of that, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. And today we're going to add these last two pieces in verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit round out the full armor of God. And remember as we've talked through this series that as you become a Christian, and you go deeper with Jesus Christ, the frequency and the intensity of the attacks spiritually on you, they'll, they'll, they'll always be on the increase. 
You're going to see them more frequently as you become a more powerful tool. And yet we, we feel like we're engaged in this battle. And, and I don't know that I could say, well, the battle ever just goes away. I think there's some ebb and some flow to it. I think there's times where we may be feeling more engaged in spiritual warfare than other times. But at all times, we need to be on alert. At all times, we need to be ready and we need to put on this armor to fight against the devil's schemes. I want to share a couple thoughts from verse 17 uh, with you this morning. The first one is this. The helmet of salvation protects our mind and our thought life. The helmet of salvation protects our mind and our thought life. There's this helmet that the Romans wore. Some scholars talk about it being pieced together with a piece of leather, and these, these metal plates would be uh, sewn onto this, these, these, uh, these pieces of leather and would protect the, the mind. Some of them, uh, as, as time went on, they began to look like this one, where it was all metal. It was an all-metal helmet. Now, now, we understand the importance of a helmet, right? It protects our brain. It protects us from injury. And the brain and the mind is central to everything else in life. And it's significant that so, so much so that Satan would want to attack us there. That makes sense, right? I mean, isn't this in essence what happened in the Garden of Eden? Is that we were deceived by Satan, that, that Eve took that fruit, and, and Satan the whole time was playing a mind game with her. And saying, are you sure? Maybe, maybe God just is holding out on you. Maybe he's got some special blessings here in this fruit, and he doesn't want you to have that. And so, are you sure? As he throws temptation her way and she gives in, that battleground all began in the mind. And because we are called by God to put on this helmet of salvation to protect our mind and our thought life, then that leads us to the fact that saved people should think differently than lost people. The, the way we think about life, the, our viewpoint of the world, should be different than those who are outside of Christ Jesus. And you may say, why and how? It's because we have this helmet, this hardware of salvation that protects our mind. It protects our brains. And we do this. This, is, this isn't something new. I mean, we wear helmets, right? Now, when I was a kid, I rode a bicycle with no helmet. I'm kind of proud of that, okay? But that might be the reason I am the way I am today. It's because I didn't have a helmet on, okay? And I did, did wreck a few times. Broke a femur on a bicycle. I mean, yeah, that takes a lot of talent. But, but the fact is, is that today you'll see kids riding in helmets, Okay, and if you ride a motorcycle that's going at a high rate of speed, as you know, it's really, really smart to, to wear a helmet. Please wear a helmet. Uh, uh, there's, there's other th things that we do, and there's, and there's times in sports now. Um, sometimes they, I was noticing in softball, as OU was uh, playing, is they have those cages over their faces now to protect this part of the head, right? It's not just protecting this part, but we're protecting the face as well. It's all connected, and you know how serious Head injuries are. You know how serious brain trauma is. I mean, it can affect so many things in your life if you are hit or struck in the head. It can cause brain damage. It can cause an, 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 some type of incapacitating blow. And sometimes you could get hit hard enough in the head that it would be a lethal blow. And so this helmet of salvation is very, very important. Why? Because our minds are essential to life, and to coordination. And this is the decision-making part of us as humans. 
is what we think and what our, our thoughts are. And thus, if you think about it, it makes sense. If I were Satan and I wanted to attack, where would I attack? A good place would be the mind. A good place would be the thought life. Let's go after the minds and the thought lives of unbelievers. And some of us, if we're honest this morning, we find ourselves bombarded with evil thoughts. We find ourselves bombarded with evil things that we consume, things that we read, things that we see, things on our phones, things on our, on our computer. It seems that at no other time in history has evil input for your mind been so readily available <laughs> and easy and accessible. And you wonder, if I were Satan and I wanted to push back and I wanted to get Christians away from Jesus, if I wanted to deceive them and lead them away from kingdom usefulness, if I wanted to attack them and maybe even possibly defeat them, I would bombard them in their mind. Temptation, when it comes, the justification for that temptation that you're about to give into begins in the mind. And whether it's sexual sin or it's overeating or it's controlling what comes out of your mouth, it all begins in the mind. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 reminds us of the importance of our thought life. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Maybe that should be the filter for all of the media that you consume this week. Anything that you look at, anything that you read, use this lens. Is it true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy? We are to think on those types of things. Why? Because we wear the helmet of salvation. And we're, we're not going to allow our minds to absorb any of those kind of things. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, it reminds us, it says, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. We're, have, we're having our minds set on things above, on eternal life, not on just the things of this world. And yet we find ourselves drawn and so easily distracted. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed how? How do you not conform to like, be like everyone else and everything else in the world? And how are you transformed? It says, transformed by the renewal of your mind. Mind renewal. Then it says, then, <clears throat> if you'll do this, if you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And, you, and, and so many people want to know that, right? What is God's will for my life? And what's going on here? And is this supposed to happen? Is that? Am I supposed to make this decision or that decision? Mind renewal is done through transformation and not conforming to the pattern of the world. And so we are called by God to take up these helmets of salvation, and to not remove this protection, but to use this protection. Because so many times I think that we, when we're not wearing the helmet of salvation, we forget who we are. Our helmet somewhat becomes our identity. And this was true 
back in the time that this was written, and, and, and as I said last week, it was quite possibly a time where the Apostle Paul was chained to a Roman soldier. And so as he's pinning this, he's actually looking at the body armor of this, this Roman soldier that he's chained to, and, he, and he's using that as, as imagery for us on how we are to armor up to be faithful to God, to fight the spiritual warfare in our life. Many times, what they would add to these helmets is some kind of uh, color. It would be some kind of uh, a plume they would put on top of the helmet. Sometimes it was red, sometimes it was blue. And a lot of times that would delineate what, what team you were on. You know, maybe it was some feathers or some kind of headdress that would come out of the helmet. And so uh, many times scholars believe that the Romans was always red. And then there's lots of reasons they chose the color red, but a lot of times they would have some type of a, of, a, of, a, of a red feather or some kind of marking that's actually coming out of the helmet. And it would identify you. You would see the, the red on all the helmets. You would know, oh, they're for Rome. Sometimes I think when we're called to put on this helmet of salvation, it's also tying into our identity. It's a reminder of who we are because it's the helmet of what? It's the helmet of salvation. It's a reminder of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins. And to that is to be on the what? The forefront of our minds and hearts in every area and part of our life, but especially when it comes to this area in the body armor of protecting our brains, our minds, our heads, and our faces, is to armor up, to armor up, to put on the helmet of salvation. So many times, even as Christians, even after we've given our, our lives to Jesus Christ, we find that our minds are taken over by worldly things. And because of that, we become influenced by the world instead of being influencers in the world. And how many times in our passage did we read, take your stand, take your stand, stand firm then. If you find yourself, well, I don't have to take a stand for anything, maybe we are not living as Christ would have us to live. But we must be secure in our salvation. It's something that makes me really sad, is that some Christians would actually doubt their salvation. But that is, again, a tactic of the devil, to make us have uh, doubts, to make us um, have fear, to, ma to make us a people that, that we're put into neutral because we're just not sure. It's another tool in Satan's arsenal of attacks against us is this discouragement, this doubt in 1 John 5, 11 through 13, there's this wonderful passage of Scripture that, that proves to us and shows us that we can know for sure that we are saved. Listen to this. It says, and this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. So who has eternal life? He, he, he states it. Whoever has the Son, whoever has that relationship with Jesus Christ, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. He doesn't stop there, though. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life, so that you don't have to have a doubt, that you can know that you have eternal life, that you can know you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you can know his grace is sufficient for you. And you put on this helmet of salvation. It reminds us of who we are, and it protects our minds, it protects our thought life. And if this morning, maybe you're like, you know what, I, I struggle. I struggle. I, I struggle with my thought life. There are some thoughts this week that I am so glad 
no one on earth knows. But I want to remind you that God in heaven knows. He can literally read our minds. He knows what we're going to say, what we're going to do, and what we think before we even think it. He knows. It's part of his power. It's part of what he's omnipotent and omniscient and all-knowing and over all things and why he is so powerful as the God of the universe. And we need to take control of our minds. We need to bring them under the helmet of salvation. And to take seriously the guard of our minds. How many thoughts did you need to take captive and to bring under the Lordship of Jesus Christ this week? Maybe it was some kind of an evil thought against someone that you were angry with. You were just angry and you're like, ugh. Maybe, maybe it was some kind of lust. Maybe it was a lustful thought. You saw someone... You saw something, you allowed yourself to be exposed to something that you shouldn't have been. Maybe, maybe it was just some, some evil thoughts. Maybe, maybe it was some thoughts of, uh, of things that you wanted to do. Maybe it was about to, 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 to steal something. Or maybe you were using your mind to connive, to bring about through manipulation some desired end result for your life. And the call of God in this passage is put on the helmet of salvation. And bring your mind under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You were bought with a price. Honor God with your mind. The second thing this morning. The sword of the word allows us to fight back and defeat Satan. The sword of the word of God allows us to fight back and to defeat Satan. Now this sword, a lot of times we think of swords. And a lot of times us, us guys, we're like, we like me some sword, right? And we, we picture this, you know mammoth sword you know it's like 48 inches long it weighs 941 pounds and we wield it you know ah, we're going into battle and the actual sword he's talking about here is more like this sword this was the sword of the roman soldiers usually the blade was somewhere between 18 to 24 inches useful for close battle hand-to-hand battle very 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 sharp able to get into places that other big large wielding swords wouldn't. And he says that this sword, he actually identifies it at the end. He says it's the sword of the Spirit. And what it is, is it's actually the Word of God. And it's one of the only offensive weapons in the armor. Everything else is protection, right? The breastplate of righteousness, protecting your core, the belt of truth, protecting and keeping everything girded up in your loins. And, and, and then we've got the shield of faith, and then we're going to you know, extinguish the fiery uh, arrows of the evil one. And we've, we've got all these different pieces of the body armor that protect us. And then we get to the end of it, and the last one shared is this sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And this is how Christians fight. This is what you're to fight back and push back on Satan with. But I wonder if most of us would say, you know what? I am relatively unsuccessful wielding the word of God in my fight against Satan, especially on the offensive, being on offense instead of defense against Satan. What are we to do when Satan's coming after us? We were to push back on that. In Luke chapter 4, we get this wonderful example from Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, on how we use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Let's read this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan 
and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, then tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Have you heard that scripture before? Man shall not live on bread alone, but on what? On every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus responds to the temptation with scripture. Verse 5. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world, which remember, God gave Satan dominion over the earth. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, Jesus, it'll all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What does that remind you of? The scripture, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, again, responds with Scripture, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Round 3, verse 9. Then the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. That's, that's the, the dwelling place for the Jews that build the, 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 believe to be the dwelling place of God amongst the people, the temple, the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you're the son of God, Throw yourself down here. And then he uses a a cool tactic here. He says, oh, hey, you use Scripture. I can use Scripture too. Uh, For it is written, verse 10, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, He uses the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And what happens? When the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. He left him. Satan is defeated. And even by the example of the Son of God, we see that we are to use Scripture, the Word, the sword of the Spirit, to defeat Satan. How does it become a sword of the Spirit for us, which is the Word of God? We have to know it. And herein may lie the biggest problem. Consider this this morning. Maybe your ability to fight back against Satan is directly related to the portion of God's Word that you have in your heart. Could that be? Could it be that you're not engaged in spiritual warfare, that you can't be on the offensive, that you can't be pushing back on the kingdom of darkness because you do not, literally you do not have God's word in your life and in your heart? Think about it. Does God have any word to work with? Because if you think being a Christian is, well, we go to church on Sunday mornings and and Eric or Alan or whoever's preaching that Sunday, they give us the word and that's it, right? But that's not what Scripture tells us to do. All throughout the Bible, and especially into the New Testament, we see the apostles and we see the disciples and all the close followers of Jesus and his ways to always be people of the word. 
And the encouragement of knowing the Word of God and living the Word of God is all throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. We see it time and time and time again. How do we know God? How do we know His heart? How can we know our relationship with Him? How can we know the Gospel? It's through the Word of God. I want to offer you some encouragement this morning and some steps that I think might help you in your walk that might help you to take up the sword of the Spirit and to actually have a sharpened sword that's tucked into the strap in your belt of truth and you can pull out the sword and go on the offensive and push back on Satan and push back on the darkness of the world. Let me share just, just four things. The first one, study the Word. Study the Word. Bible study. Okay, this is not to check a box that says, I study the Bible. No, the purpose of this is understanding the Bible. Most Christians say, I don't understand the Bible. Did you study it? Yes. I read a passage. Did, did, did you study the passage? Yes. I still don't understand it. Study it again. Well, I studied it a second time. I still didn't understand it. Then read a Bible dictionary. Look at some commentaries of scholars that have studied it out more than you and spent more time than you. Look at some resources. Look at some other scriptures in the Bible. You know, we, we, have, these, we have these Bibles, and a lot of times it has all of these verses that, that you can go down, and it's like, what are all those verses referencing? You know, it wants me to go read Colossians and Exodus and Genesis and Deuteronomy and 1 Timothy. They're called cross-references. It's to help you understand what this verse is talking about. You might get a clue to what it means by looking over here. Study the word of Scripture for understanding. If you don't understand it, come to church and be discipled in Sunday school classes, in, in, in small groups on Wednesday nights, in discipleship classes that we offer. We even have a class we offer periodically called How to Study the Bible. And if you're one of those, you're like, I, man, I don't have a clue and I read it and I don't understand it. Don't be defeated and stop there. Study it till you do understand it because it is understandable. God's intention is not for you to read it and be confused and say, hey, this has no application in my life and I have no idea what they're talking about. Sometimes you need a little historical context. Sometimes you need to know who that character is and why they're named that. Sometimes their name might even have a meaning. There's so much richness in the study of the Word of God and we are called by God to wield this sword of the Spirit to handle the Word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15 reminds us of this. Do your best. And this is the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy that was like his understudy. Okay, Paul was like the mentor to Timothy. And he says this to him, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. How can I be one approved? You know, He says, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. How do you correctly handle? How are you going to learn to correctly handle the word of truth? You study the word until you understand it. Study the word. The second thing is to meditate Meditate on the word. You meditate. I used to make fun of this when I was a teenager. Anytime I, were, I heard the word meditate, I would replace it with the word vegetate. Okay? And I thought it was this vegetative thing. And I, I remember doing this with my friends. We're like, okay, let's just vegetate on the word of God. Mm, you know? And we, you know, we made fun of it, you know, because meditation didn't sound fun, cool, you know. It, it, but it's, it's actually really awesome. Look what it says in Joshua 1.8. This is from the 
Old Testament, very early in the Bible, Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it. You shall dwell on it. Think about it all the time. Day and night, so that what happens? What happens if you meditate on the Word of God? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Makes you a more obedient Christian. Makes you a better person. Makes you live life God's way. So, so, so that you may be careful and do according to all that is written in it. For then, listen to this benefit. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Anybody want prosperous life and successful life? Just put your hand up. Be proud. Okay, don't lie. Everybody wants prosperous and success. Right, okay. How does it say we achieve that? Through meditating on the word of God day and night. Night and day, when you get up in the morning, have a devotional time, read and study the Word of God. When you, before you go and hit the pillow at night, read some Scripture and have that Scripture be there with you. And you meditate on it because when you meditate on the Word of God, and it's not some vegetative state. It's reading and thinking about it and dwelling on it. And maybe even write it out on an index card or you write it on a piece of paper and, and you look at it again and again and again. Maybe you have your verse of the day and you just meditate on that verse. It's amazing how God can speak through his word. His word in Hebrews chapter 4 is called living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrating to the bones and marrow, it reveals our very hearts. God has a work he wants to do in your life through this sword of the Spirit, through the Word of Scripture. So we are called to study it for understanding, not to check the box. We are called to meditate on it day and night. And the third thing is to memorize the Word. Memorize the Word of Scripture. Now, being honest with you, and my wife can absolutely confirm this, I'm not good at memorization. People are like, oh, yeah, you already preach every week, do this, and you, you teach lessons, and you, oh, yeah, you know lots of scripture. I have, through years of repetition, yes, acquired scripture. But when I had to just sit down and try to memorize scripture, I really struggled. I struggled to this day with it. If you said, hey, Eric, I want you to memorize the first, first chapter of 1 Peter, it would probably take me months. I don't feel like I'm very good at memorization, and it's not something that was like encouragement in my life, that, that, that you know, hey, you're good at this, and it's going to become easy to you. No, it was hard. But the more I've done it, and the more impact it's had in my life, it's amazing when you, well, it's, when you hide his word in your heart, read Psalm 119, verse 11, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. You know, your sin bugs you a lot more when you hide the word of God in your heart because you know what is right. I wonder how many marriages could have been saved if someone would have hidden God's word in their heart and when temptation come, they said no. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a man commits is outside his body, but he who commits sexual sin sins against his own body. And your body is bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Would that scripture hidden in someone's heart, maybe someone could have said no to the temptation when it came. When it was that temptation to steal, and they remember God's Ten Commandments, it says, thou shalt not steal. Nothing good's going to come from it in your life. And it really began with coveting. You shouldn't covet what your neighbor has. Another verse of God's Ten Commandments. And you can just go through all of these scriptures in the Bible. And when you memorize them, 
you hide that word in your heart, it is amazing what God can do in your life. And it's amazing how I feel like it sharpens that sword and makes it even more useful. I don't have to go find my Bible. I don't have to, find, I don't have to go find the, the Bible app on my phone. I don't have to do any of that. I have his word hidden in my heart that I may not sin against him. And because of that, I'm a powerful tool in the hands of Almighty God. My sophomore year in Bible college... I took a class called The Life of Christ, and as part of The Life of Christ, we had to memorize Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, in its entirety, written. Now, I even thought, I did a pretty good job memorizing it for an entire semester, an entire 16 weeks. I did a pretty good job memorizing it, and I, I could speak it, but to write it, you know, it moves slow when you have to hand write all of that, and that's how we had to take the test. I made a poor grade on the Sermon on the Mount. And I was fighting the C or D that I got on that for the rest of the semester trying to get my grade up. But there was something about memorizing Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that I have recall of parts of it even to today. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I remember a little bit further down in chapter 5, It talks about salt and light. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and stick it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In that same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And praise your Father in heaven. I think that's like two or three little verses in the middle of Matthew chapter 5. What's amazing is our professor, the spring semester of Life of Christ, it was a two-semester course, in the spring semester, he preached in chapel one day. I remember he, he got up to the uh, lectern And he put his Bible down to the side, and he went like this and popped all of his knuckles. And you could hear it in the microphone. It was really cool. And and he started Matthew chapter 5, which starts out, Jesus went up on the mountainside, and he sat down, and he began teaching his disciples, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. And he started, he actually preached the whole entire Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as a sermon you talk about impact. We had to memorize it. We had to write it out. got a grade on it, all this stuff. But to, to, to be there in that moment was like being drawn into the presence of Jesus Christ. To imagine Jesus standing on this mountainside and telling his disciples and sharing with them all of these things was super powerful and effective. Do you know how that sermon ends? It ends with an illustration about the foolish man that built his house upon the sand and the wise man who built his house upon the rock. You may even sang that song in Sunday school as a child. The word of God, memorize it. The dividends are huge, super impactful in your life. And if you're like me and you struggle with it, the best way I know is to read it, read it, read it, read it, read it. You become more and more familiar with it with repetition. It's a form of meditation to repeat it and to think about it and to dwell on it. The last thing is, so we, so we study God's word, we meditate on the word, we memorize the word, and the last thing is apply the word. Put it into practice. Apply the word of God. What does James 1.22 say? 
Another one I have memorized. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Titus 1.16. They claim to know Christ, but by their actions they deny him. Don't be a Titus 1.16 Christian. we got to put the word into practice. And I know if you're like me, you don't live it out every day, every week, just perfectly. But you should see holiness and righteousness on the increase in your life as you walk in the word of God even more. The sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, use it to fight back and to defeat Satan. We do that through living it out. The way I want to end this series today is for you to hear directly from the Lord. And the best way I know to do that in, in light of the, what we just talked about is to actually just hear the word of God. So I don't want you to follow along. It's not going to be on the screens. Um, it's, it's, I don't want you in the app or even in your Bible. I just want you to listen. And I want you to go back with me to the context of where Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, where it was given. Okay? Remember what's happened in the book of Ephesians. There's been some doctrine in it, and there's been some great teaching. And the Apostle Paul is believed to be in a Roman dungeon chained to a guard. And he's, been, he's written this letter, and the way that the scholars picture it is they would read these letters in the churches, and so the Ephesus is like, we got a letter from Paul, and you knew it was from Paul because he had a little seal with a little wax thing. And he has wax, he's, you know, this is from the Apostle Paul, and he's in prison for Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, let's read what he has to say to us. And he's given them some great facts. He's encouraged them. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, remember what it says? That you're saved by grace through faith. It is not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. And not by works so that no one can boast. And he's told these Christians in Ephesus that you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. He's talked to them about salvation and he's secured them in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's even given them some practical living things. And in, in, uh, I think it's Ephesians 5, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands, ask to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He's, he's even affected their marriages. In the beginning of chapter 6, he talks about children obeying your parents. He, he's given them practical application. He's given them doctrine and theology. And he gets to the end. So go back with me. We're the church in Ephesus. They've gathered the church together and they're reading this letter. And it gets to the end here. And it gets to our passage of Scripture. And in lieu of everything that he's written in this book, he ends the letter this way. And the church is gathered and listening. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. In, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, it's against the authorities, it's against the powers of darkness in this world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, and then he starts telling them how to armor up, he says, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the, the breastplate of righteousness 
and place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith so that you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then we get to today's verse. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And after verse 17, he closes the letter by telling us to pray. He says, pray for each other. Pray for me as I'm still working to expand the gospel. Pray for God's church. Pray for the Christians everywhere. He does a few greetings and he says, I'm out. And if you think about how the book of Ephesians is put together, and you see this at the end, it's a call to arms for Christians. It's a call to action, to actually take action, to live God's way, to live his truth in your life. And I imagine that after the church finishes the letter, they're, they're emotional. I mean, some of these people had relationships with Paul, and they see that he's being persecuted, and they're, they're just, it's like a, getting the locker room speech, right, from the coach, Right before you go out, I don't know what it was like for the OU ladies this week, but you get that, you're at the last game, you're leaving it all out on the line, and they get that speech, and I feel like the church in Ephesus got this speech. He's like, you know, take up the shield of faith, and take up the sword of the Spirit, and put on the, the helmet of salvation, and it was like these marching orders, and they were motivated, they were like, yes, we're going to go, we're going to take kingdom ground, we're going to push back on darkness in this world, we're going to live our lives for Jesus Christ. Yes. And then I wonder, for that moment after they'd read the letter and they put it away, said, hey, let's take communion together. Let's break bread. Let's remember the centrality of all of this. The helmet of salvation comes from Jesus Christ. He's our salvation. His body was broken. His blood was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And when he was in the upper room of the disciples, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so church, we're going to do that. And church, we're going to do that right now. We have this opportunity to commune. And in these moments of communion with Jesus himself, we remember the high price of our salvation. We remember the sacrifice of the very Son of God. And we remember he didn't stay dead on the cross. He resurrected. He had the power over death. And that resurrection power enables us to push back and to fight and to armor up against Satan today. Hopefully you grab those emblems when you came in this morning. If not, feel free to slip out and grab those now. If you're with us online, hopefully you've made those arrangements wherever you're at. Well, let's pray. And then let's spend some time communing with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord God, I'm so thankful for your word. Thankful for the encouragement and the motivation that we see God, I, I can't imagine what it had been like to be back the first time that this letter that we call Ephesians, the first time that this was read to the, the, the Christians in Ephesus and just how motivating it was to see this man, Paul, in chains in Rome, brought along by the Holy Spirit to write this letter that shows us and encourages us to armor up and to fight, to stand firm then. God, this is only made possible through Jesus Christ. He's our commander-in-chief. We do what he tells us 
to do. And he says to go make disciples. And, and Lord, it's not even possible to do what he's called us to do without his sacrifice. And so, Lord, as we take this bread that represents his body, as we take this cup that represents his blood, Lord, we do this in remembrance of him. Just as Jesus asked the disciples in that upper room, as many times as you take this, do it in remembrance of me. God, we make it central to our worship that we're going to do this and remember your sacrifice. And God, we thank you so much for it. God, as we do this in the next few minutes, I just pray, continue to speak to our hearts and minds. God, that we may choose to put on, do our part and put it on, put on the full armor of God and to take some ground for the kingdom this week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take a few moments this morning and commune with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.